we're going to talk about money. <laughs> and we're going to talk about it for like the next three, four weeks. Um, I think they're doing George Mueller when Miller comes too. They're going to talk about money too. Um, and the reason why isn't that we have a great budget sh shortfall, but simply that as we go through the Bible, this is what the Bible text is going to talk about for the next two chapters, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. And one of the great things about preaching just through the Bible is that uh, it's hard for me to have an agenda. After all, you guys can just read what the Bible says. So, so it sets our agenda for us. And it's nice because I really don't like talking about money because I don't want to look like a slimy televangelist shaking down people. And like, I don't want the church. I don't want the church to look like it's just about lining its pockets. But... We have to talk about money because, yes, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. Yes, you can't serve God and money. And the importance of money isn't, isn't just that like, like we, we, we need or, the, or the, like God needs. God doesn't really need money. But what our attitude towards our wallet says about our hearts so in these next two chapters, as we go through Paul's teaching on money, it will show us how to live with more joy, less stress, and greater generosity than we do now. We're going to divide it into three sermons. Today we're going to talk about our inspiration for giving. Next week, our attitude in giving. And then finally, the result of giving. But first, we have to talk a little bit about what in the world is going on in 2 Corinthians, because they're talking about this collection. And this, this collection, this offering, is something that Paul talks about all over. And we're going to look at Paul spends a lot of his time talking about this Relief of the saints. They beg him to take part in the relief of the saints, which is a collection that they're taking up for Jerusalem. In Romans, the end of Romans, which is written after this, he probably writes the book of Romans in Corinth. And so this is after like the collection he's talking about gets taken up. He says, for Macedonia and Achaia, and that's, that's Corinth, Achaia, that's just the Roman province in the Peloponnese, uh, have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. Now, it's not hard to imagine why Paul spends so much time on this. There are tensions between the church in Jerusalem and Paul. There are people there who think that Paul is a little bit too much of a Gentile. There, look, look, all the cool things. Um, they think that Paul cares a little bit too much of Gentiles, but they should really be focused on 
the Jewish people. And so Paul hopes by gathering this offering from the Gentiles to bring to the church, he's going to bridge the gap, create peace so that every tribe and tongue and nation can worship the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, when Paul and Barnabas and Titus go up to Jerusalem, one of the things there, specifically directed by the leaders there, they only, they asked us to remember the poor. Remember, it was the contribution for the poor in Jerusalem. So they remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Now, the Jerusalem church was chronically poor, and it was so for, so for a lot of reasons. Jerusalem was a place where a lot of pilgrims went, and because of that, it had kind of the nature of a tourist town. You know, have you ever been on vacation? You go and you're like, you, you buy something to grocery store. You're like, whoa, that is expensive. And Jerusalem was like that. Everything there was more expensive than it was in the surrounding countries. Added to that, Judea was taxed to such an extent that within 15 years of this offering, they're going to revolt against Rome. This is the big revolt of AD 70 in which Jerusalem is like crushed to dust, basically. Added to that, there were many widows, there were many teachers in the church, all of which caused problems with money. Now, they did say it sell fields and they gave generously, but resources were running out. And so Paul, Paul hopes and prays that this offering among the Corinthians and among all of these Gentile churches would bridge the gap. So let's get into the text. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. And Andrew mentioned it. It's uh, three churches, probably Berea. Uh, Philippi and oh, so I'm going to talk about it in a sec. Thessalonica. Grace here is a very interesting word about the grace of God that has been given among the church of Macedonia. And grace is really going to form the center of Paul's thought as he talks about money. Grace in its big sense of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. That God in the gospel shows us his grace by giving to us his beloved son so that our sins might be forgiven. So that by just believing in him, our sins would be forgiven. We would be right with God and giving us the righteousness of Christ so that we could be holy in God's sight. It's the grace of God. And again and again, Paul is going to use the word grace, not only to describe what God has done, but the attitude of living in radical generosity for believers. Our English translations like often will kind of obscure that he's using grace all the time because it, it it doesn't always make sense because we don't use grace in that way. But every time Paul uses grace, it calls to mind what is the center, what is the reason for us giving. And that is that God gave Christ first. That Christ gave up all so that we might have all. 
So the grace of God here is God's power displayed in the gospel. And it's also looking forward to, it is talking about the financial generosity of the Macedonians. Of the Macedonians, or the map, there we go, Macedonia. This is like zoomed out, the, the Mediterranean seas below here. Italy, the big boot, is over here. And uh, this is like currently uh, Turkey, but this is Asia Minor over here. And this is currently Greece. And uh, this is where we're talking about down here. This is where Paul's writing to Corinth. And up here is the Macedonians, where Paul probably is in Philippi. And Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea, where Paul is talking about these are the people who are giving, the people up in Macedonia. And how they give is this. For in a severe test of affliction. Now, affliction is just bad. And, and it, it might be some sort of persecution here. It might be some sort of financial difficulty. But in whatever it is, and we know there were lots of persecutions and there were lots of difficulties because we've read the book of First and Second Thessalonians, and it's all about how they're suffering persecution their abundance of joy, these two things, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed. So these two things, which don't seem to go together very well, joy and extreme poverty, they overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. And it's, it's, it's such a weird, like, corresponding thing. Like, how do they find joy to give in extreme poverty? Like Paul said, not just they were poor, they were like extremely poor. But somehow their affliction was overcome by joy. And a part of this is simply that generosity is joy. And as I said, when, when, when we give, even in the midst of hard times... And for the Christian, suffering should result in joy. James 1, 2 to 4, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Here, the, 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 their trial met with joy resulted in generosity. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now, when we have problems, our first instinct, I know my first instinct, is to be less generous. I want to store things up. I want to have more safety margin. And that is how I'm going to feel safe and comfortable. But how the Macedonians overcame their difficulty was joy Joy that God was still working even when they suffered persecution. Joy in the faith that none of the material things mattered in the long run. And likely joy in Jesus' words again and again. Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go, sell what you possess and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. And this is a principle of giving a Christian. We, you kind of have to start with any, in any discussion is that nothing we give, we really give up. 
Uh, Randy Alcorn, who I, who I love in this, has the, you can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead in the treasure pr principle. So the Macedonians, like they were maybe losing a lot of money because they, becoming Christians, they were facing social pressures that caused their businesses to suffer. Maybe even they were getting robbed and the authorities weren't doing anything about it. Stuff like this happens. And instead of complaining, they used it as more of a reason. They said, we might as well give it away. We're not keeping it anyways. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. It's very interesting, like, like, what is it talking about here? They gave according to their means and beyond their means. And I think, really, it's like, like beyond what they could be reasonably asked to give. And at this point in the sermon, I think I need to talk about tithing for just a second. So tithing literally means a tenth. And you have to think that if Paul really believed in tithing as an absolute principle, like this is the point he should have mentioned it. He would have said, they gave their tithe plus beyond their tithe. But in fact, Paul never mentions tithing, not once. And in fact, the whole New Testament is like totally silent on tithing, which feels really weird because it's all over the Old Testament. Now, if he does give any nod to it, maybe it's here that they gave, according to their means, they gave about 10%. But then he says also they gave beyond their means, beyond what could be reasonably expected, far beyond 10%. And I think, you know, if you want to talk about tithing for just a moment, 10% is a good starting place if you're financially planning. 10% to charity off the top. But as I said that nowhere in the New Testament is tithing commanded, and that's not, I think, because we should give less. In fact, whenever numbers are mentioned, we run into, as we said, the text in the rich young ruler, Jesus asked him to sell all and give to the poor. Jesus asked 100%. Zacchaeus gives half of what he has to the poor. The widow who gives her last two pennies, clink, clink, it's all gone. 100% again. So whenever we get percentages, we do not get 10%. We get 100, 150 The Macedonians give beyond their means. Now, Christians are generous. Christians do, on average, give more than non-Christians. But could it be said of us that we give beyond our means? They did this. Generosity gives beyond ability. They did this begging us earnestly for the favor, I, I bolded that word, you know why? You know what that word really is? Well, it's, it's grace again. He's using grace in terms of a favor, which is a meaning of grace. Begging us early for the, for the grace, for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord 
and then by the will of God to us. Giving to God must always be seen as an opportunity and not a duty. There, it's, it, it's really incredible here that, that they're begging us earnestly. Which, which you get the impression that, that Paul here, he was in Macedonia and he saw the poverty and the difficulty of these people and he said, you know, I'm not really going to talk about the collection for Jerusalem here. Like, these people are are really suffering. But they came to him, and they begged him, Paul, take our money. (laughs) And Paul, you get the person who's like, oh, I don't really, really want to. (laughs) It's like, we we didn't expect this. But they gave themselves... To the first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Now, there are a bunch of things here, and I, and I think maybe we should talk for a second about how churches and Christian charities talk about giving. Because Paul, Paul guards against the kinds of greed that have unfortunately plagued the church from the beginning. People who abuse these passages as shakedowns with divine threats. And Paul's example is so clear here. Like Paul didn't want their money. He didn't want to command, and he's not going to command later. Like he, he wanted the gift and he wanted to bring it, but, but he didn't want it so bad that he was going to strong arm them. Because ultimately, The kind of giving that God desires cannot be legislated. Because the kind of giving that God desires is giving after the model of God. That is grace giving. Giving not as a duty, but as a delight, as an opportunity to bless with no expectation of reward. An opportunity to give like God gives to us. Not giving us what our due is, but giving us far beyond and better because of his graciousness. They gave themselves first to the Lord. And as I say, any giving is first to the Lord. They were committed to him so much. And then it was God's will that they give to the offering. Now Paul turns, he's talking about the Macedonians, and now he turns to the Corinthians. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, we all know, first, the Corinthians, they love their spiritual gifts. And in our love for you, see that you excel in this spiritual gift, this gift of giving, this act of grace, also, accordingly. So Paul transitions from talking to the Macedonians to pointing to the Corinthians. And now he's in among the, ch- the churches of the Macedonians. They are poor. They are undergoing persecution. And he's writing to the Corinthians. And the Corinthians, they know they have more money than the Macedonians. 
Corinth again, if we remember, shipping town, they had a little like, uh, they had that, that, that land bridge and they had more wealth there coming in. And so as Paul writes to Macedonians, he's kind of shaming them a little bit and be like, you know, you both committed yourself to giving this amount. And now we want you to complete this act of grace. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others, that is to show the Macedonians' earnestness in giving, that your love is also genuine. Paul can't command them. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, he's like, I'm not going to command you, you know, you give this amount. And in the same way, I think churches, Christian, if everyone's like, hey, you know, you've got to give, and they're like pressuring you too much to be like, oh, like, like, no, like, like I, I have to give by, by, by grace, not by command or, or law. In fact, generosity has to be in this an expression of love. It's showing your love is genuine, just as the Macedonians is. And then Paul says, and this is the center of the whole text, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty, so that by you, so that you by his poverty might become rich. This is the center of everything. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the mother of all graces, the greatest gift ever. Jesus Christ gave himself for you. Christ was rich, that he had all the riches of heaven. He had everything, but became poor, born in a manger, the son of a carpenter, with no place to lay his head, and finally penniless as a slave going to a death on a cross, all so that we could be rich. Now, you have to understand that spiritually primarily because Paul is just talking about the Macedonians as being in extreme poverty and giving. So it's not that we come to Christ and Christ makes us rich, but that we would be spiritually rich in all times so that we could have joy like the Macedonians in their poverty and, you don't leave it there, and so that we could inherit all of the treasures of heaven in due time and specifically inherit them according to the generosity we show. All of this is to show that generosity for a Christian, Christian generosity is rooted in the gospel. That in it, we get to follow Jesus Christ who gave not just a part, not just a little bit, but gave everything gave up everything, his riches, his comforts, his life for us. So that, not that we pay back because we can't pay back God because you know why we can't pay back God? 
because whatever you give here, God is going to pay back more in heaven. So there's like no repayments ever because God is always going to outgive you no matter what. But that we could be transformed by that grace to be grace people, to give with radical generosity in all of our dealings, in all of our life. So the gospel that saves us would be the gospel that transforms us to be a grace gift people because God in his grace gave to us and continues to give. Paul continues at the end, and in this matter I give you my judgment, this benefits you who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it well, so that your readiness in desiring may be matched by your completing out of what you have. I missed a verse here, but complete out of what you have. For I do not mean that others, oh, for the readiness is there, is verse 12, which I don't have up there, sorry. For the readiness is there is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but as a matter of fairness. Your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need, so that there may be fairness. Simply, Paul is a little bit like showing like the Macedonians that I want that same spirit of grace to work in you so that you in your current well-offness can give. And I think this little like twisting of pressure here should be especially like relevant for us in a time of prosperity, in a country of prosperity, when there is great need. You know, it's my, my, my thinking, you know, as a church and as a in the Western church, like there should be no organization that has lack. There should be no missionary that has lack from all of God has given us. Like every missionary should be writing back prayer letters that be like, we have too much, okay? Please consider giving to something else because of our abundance that, that we have financially here. Then we can get to the business of raising up more missionaries, which we also need to do. And finally, he says, as it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over and whoever gathered little had no lack. Quoting Exodus 16, 18, where the Israelites go and they gather manna and some gather a little less than an omer and some gather a little more than an omer, but then they get back and everybody had just enough. And it's like, there's this like miracle of having enough. And, and Paul points to this here to show that, you know, God is going to supply your need. If you're a little bit stingy, like God's still going to be there for you. God is a God of grace. That's how he works. If you give a lot, God is going to give you. So you might as well give a lot <laughs> because God is going to be there to supply your needs. Oh no, generosity is rooted in the gospel of grace. God gave, God is a giver. So we must be a people transformed to give so that it is a joy to give as Christ gave 
We give ultimately because we love, and we give not just according to our ability, but beyond our ability. Now, application. Interesting here, Paul doesn't give us a number. Be like, hey, give this amount and you're good with God. Because he can't, because that's not how Christian giving works. Christian giving isn't fulfilling an obligation, but Christian giving is walking in the grace of God that saved us so that we can give generously to all. All this is to show that we cannot make a law out of giving because that's not the kind of giving that God wants. As we're going to learn next week, that God wants a cheerful giver. And so I, I, I really want to end this sermon to be like, hey, let's do this. I got a friend in Nepal. He's a church. They need $14,000 to buy the land their church sits on. It's like pennies for the land, for their church, that they currently don't own, that's currently coming up for renewal. I want to like just pound the ball, be like, hey, you know, we, we want to budget for an intern next week or next year. We want to uh, raise more money. But all I think I can do to end is like, like look again to the God of grace who gave Give to him, like Paul says, give first to the Lord. Walking in the path of the Macedonians, give. And then in that path, give more than our ability to God's good work. And sit back and watch and see how God supplies all of our needs. Even if we give a little or give a lot. Let's pray. Oh, Lord God. I pray that we would look to you, Jesus Christ, who gave up everything. And in you, in, in, in Christ dwelling in us, to live with the same kind of generosity, to give and give, trusting that you will always meet our needs according to what we need. I pray, Lord God, that we would not be slack, but that that grace would just live in us in such a way that we would overflow with generosity. I don't know where we should overflow generosity for, but I pray that in everything we would. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.